0: And for tonight, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to talk about God's people assembling together. As we get ready to kick off our anniversary day celebration. This Wednesday night, you might call this a shameless plug. I've given many messages this year on believing to see on Sunday nights back in June I preached on seeing the fellowship, that which takes place when the church assembles. And that message was given in an effort to help us to not lose sight of the fact that we need fellowship in church. And I felt like COVID might be trying to rob us of that fellowship. And I think knowing what we know now, we certainly shouldn't fear fellowship. And so it's important that we talk with each other and we hang around and we are friends with one another and we encourage and edify and exhort, and so don't lose sight of that. But I've not preached on seeing the assembly itself. And I'm not really going to preach tonight. I'm just going to kind of share some things with you as I'm asking you to make the effort to be here Wednesday through Sunday for all of our services. Some people would say, well, you shouldn't have to do that. Um, Nobody trained me what to do. Now, to get the context here in chapter 10, you know where I'm going here, but I want to read verses 1 all the way down to verse 31. And I think that will help us with some things tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things... "...can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins." Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for, of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I wanted to read beyond verse 25 just to point out that oftentimes we see the day approaching. People want to make that refer to the gathering together. Actually, it refers to the day of judgment to come. And I just wanted to point that out. Throughout Hebrews, we see how Christ is better than all others, He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the Levitical priesthood system. He's better than the Old Covenant. He's better than all those sacrifices that have ever been offered. And this book being written to Hebrews is to show them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. That everything that that pointed to, what verse 1 says there, talking about the shadows of things to come, the very image of the thing. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. Those sacrifices offered year by year continually could never make anybody perfect. If they could have made people perfect, then according to verse 2, they would have ceased to be offered. But the worshipers were not purged by animal sacrifices, and there was a consciousness of sins And in verse 3, there was a remembrance of sins. And the reason is given in verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. And verse 6 says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. And because of this, Christ came down to earth, robed in flesh, to do the will of God. And in so doing, Christ, in verse 9, would take away the old covenant... He would establish the new covenant, and he would do so by offering himself once for all, as we see in verse 10. And as we keep going down these verses, we see that those Old Testament priests would offer the same sacrifices over and over, but they could never take away sin. But in Christ, amen. Amen. But in Christ, when he offered himself once as a sacrifice for sins, he took away sin forever. And now Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, waiting till His enemies are made His footstool. That's not politically correct sounding, is it? I don't think God cares. And in His offering, Christ has perfected believers forever. And In verse 16, under the new covenant, the Lord will put His laws into our hearts and minds, and their sins and iniquities will He remember no more. And now there's no more offering needed for sin. And I wanted to quickly cover that because verse 19 opens up with therefore. Having therefore. Because of what we just went through, because Christ is all we need for our sins to be forgiven, we can have boldness or we can have confidence in entering into God's presence by the blood of Christ. Christ made the way And Christ is the way. Christ is our high priest. And in verse 21, He is called a high priest over the house of God. Or over this spiritual temple that's not built with hands, which we call the body of Christ. And because of all of this, we see in verses 22 through 24 that we can draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, and we need to hold fast this faith without wavering because He is faithful who promised this. Amen. And we need to consider one another to provoke us unto love and to good works. Amen. Now let's read verse 25 again. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is such a great verse. And it should be quoted often. It should be emphasized frequently. But it's even better when we understand it in context. People assembled at the tabernacle and later the temple under the Old Covenant. But they were under the sacrificial system. And now that the writer of Hebrews has made the case that Christ is the last sacrifice ever needed, he wants them to know this is not an excuse for a forsaking church. He wants them to know, look, don't forsake assembling together just because there's no more offering needed. But the manner of some is is to neglect the assembling together because well, it doesn't affect our eternal destination. Isn't that what many use in their argument? People will say things like, well, going to church won't save you. Thank God that's true. However, people say that as if to emphasize church is not that important. Well, breathing won't save you. So it must not be that important, so we might as well not breathe. (laughs) Providing for your family won't save you. So I guess it's not important and we should stop doing that. Doing good to others won't save you. So I guess it's not important and there's no need to do that either. I'm just highlighting that's a bad justification. Some will add to that sad excuse. Well, it isn't a sin to miss church. Well, is that really true? James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Hebrews 10.24 says, We are to provoke one another unto good works. And Then it says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Therefore, it is good to assemble. Would you agree? Which means, To him that doeth it not, to him it is sin when he neglects the assembling of the saints. So this verse is letting us know that even though no more sacrifice for sins are needed, we aren't to use that as an excuse to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We also saw in the verses leading up to verse 25 that we no longer need an earthly priest. We don't need an earthly priest to intercede on our behalf to God. There is one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. Christ is now our great high priest. And we don't need an earthly priest to conduct some religious ceremony and then tell us our sins have been forgiven. We don't need to go into a booth and confess our sins to another sinner. Or do some sort of form of penance. We no longer have the old covenant priestly system where we have to go to a priest with our sacrifice and allow him to take the sacrifice and put it upon the altar and do all that was required with that. There was a lot to it. And because we no longer do this, we are warned not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But the manner of some is, is to forsake church, because they really see no point. Why do I need church if I don't need an earthly priest? Why do I need a pastor? And what ends up happening in both of these scenarios, talking about no earthly priest, no more sacrifice needed, is church attendance becomes something, it might be good for the fellowship. But otherwise, it isn't really necessary for me Because I won't really benefit from it. I've had people say that. Independent Baptist Church, well, that's not really for me. How can it not be for you? Say, well, you're not talking about me. It's the Word of God. All of it's profitable. And really, some adopt this hyper-grace mindset where it's okay to lay out of church because Christ has already done everything necessary for my salvation. And many feel like they're actually doing God a favor or doing me a favor if they show up. And really it becomes nothing more than a religious check mark that makes us feel better about our Christianity because we attended. And what I get out of this chapter is that when we assemble, we are actually celebrating the fact that Christ is the only sacrifice that was needed And that we're no longer under this old covenant system. That we no longer need an earthly priest. We no longer have to bring animals in here and offer them as a sacrifice. And we are celebrating that we are under the new covenant. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because everything under the old covenant has been fulfilled in Christ. Because Christ is all we need. We celebrate that our sins and our iniquities He will remember no more. We celebrate that Christ fulfilled His Father's will. We celebrate that we no longer need sacrifices, that we no longer need priests, and it shows the same thing to the world and the world's religions. I believe assembling together is a celebration. That's why I like to quickly look at the Facebook and see, is the choir smiling as they sing? It's a celebration. So much so, Brother Long and I were talking once, and and, and he's on board. I mean, we're seeing eye to eye. And uh, I said, look, man, out of all the services, Sunday morning needs to be a celebration. We're coming in here to celebrate God." Listen, Sunday morning is not when I want to hear you sing Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen. I just don't want to hear it. I don't want Lutheran overtones in our service. I don't want to hear about how you can't wait to see Mama one day. We are celebrating the risen Lord. Now, I offended somebody on that one. It needs to be jubilant. That's why externally, anniversary days, I advertise it as our Black Hills Jubilee. It's to be a celebration of what God is doing. So don't bring in your woe is me music on Sunday morning. I would rather hear victory in Jesus and how great our God is. I needed brother long here for that one, but amen. So let's celebrate the Lord and what He has done for us. So, what is it we are to do by faith when we gather together? I kind of asked this question the other day in a different context. Matthew eighteen twenty, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's quite a promise. And we have faith that when we gather together, when we assemble as the body of Christ, that our Lord is going to meet with us. When the church is assembled together, we believe by faith the Lord wants to meet with us. And if we could figure out how to assemble together in one accord, in one place, we might experience the glory of God crowding us out. Is that not what the Bible shows us? We saw it when Solomon dedicated the temple and they were in one mind and one accord, and the glory of God so showed up the priest just had to stand there. Hey, it'd be wonderful just to stop and have a shout and fit for about 20 minutes, and nobody know what happened. Now I just scared about half of you. <laughs> we see in the New Testament when they were in one accord, in one place, the Holy Ghost shook the place. There's no telling what would happen. We also have faith when we gather together that this Bible is God's Word. Or else, what are we doing here? Why am I up here blathering on, right? Because we believe that this is the Word of God and that it contains truth. So we gather around the Word of God by faith, believing that somehow this crazy gathering is going to benefit us. That's what God instituted by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. It, doesn't make, it, it's, it confounds the wisdom of the wise. It doesn't make sense, and yet here we are. Now, what's the problem with making church optional? We like to joke back home in Georgia, you know, well, it's raining. You know, The Lord will understand it's raining. Because <laughs> we know the Lord never went to the temple when it rained. And, okay, I'm going to start getting way off. <laughs> Okay, let me focus here. What's the problem with making church optional? Well, for starters, Jesus bled for the church. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. If the church was important enough to God, that Christ would bleed to purchase it, then who are we to suggest that assembling is not important? And Jesus is so connected to the church that He asked Saul of Tarsus when he was going to persecute the church, why persecutest thou me? Therefore, your treatment of the church is your treatment of Christ. And if you neglect church, you're neglecting Christ. Christ is the head of the church. When you forsake church, you forsake our head. And what are you doing walking around without a head? I can't remember how Brother DeGarmo put it this morning, but it was really cool and sounded good. Something about a monster with two heads and what was no head? Dead. Dead. No head, dead. (laughs) Cindy, make t shirts. What good is a headless believer? But there's a multitude of them out there. At least they say they are. And it's in the church where Christ receives glory corporately. The world sure isn't going to glorify Christ. Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. When you miss church... You miss seeing God work. You miss a chance for your faith to be increased and all kinds of things. Thomas decided to miss a meeting one night, and guess who showed up? The resurrected Lord. You know, he's thinking, man, the one night I don't show up for prayer meeting, and y'all are telling me Jesus showed up from the dead. We should do that to somebody who doesn't show up. He'll never never believe what you missed Wednesday night. I love this thought. and I probably have preached it once or twice in my life. It's interesting that church is where Jesus promised to declare God's name unto the brethren and sing praise. I think the prophecy is actually in Psalm 22, but in Hebrews 2.12, it says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. I think church is important to God. There are so many wonderful things about assembling together that you should desire for us to assemble together. And I'm hitting these points I just went through very quick because I did a 37-week study on the church back in 2016 and 2017. But the church is to be the very center of our camp. Nothing else is to crowd that out. Not sports, not work. It's supposed to be the tabernacle's right there in the center. And listen, we don't need less preaching. We need more preaching. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, despise not prophesying. You know what that means? Don't hate the preaching. Oh, I just love that church. They have the best music. Oh, no. Thank God for that. But if you can't back that up with, man, the preaching's good. What are you doing there? And I would ask you, is one one five-day stretch in a week really that much to ask? And if you think that's too much, you sure would have hated the first century church because they met every day. (laughs) You know, pastoring is such a unique call that it's hard to communicate what it's really like. And for those who have ever pastored, you know that because when you become a pastor, you realize I never really knew. We preach from the highest authority there is on this earth, this Bible. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. And even though the Bible talks about the authority of a pastor, I can't make you do anything that's probably a good thing. But I can't make you do anything. Even though Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you. Now that sounds like a command to me. But you and I both know it's rarely treated that way. It just got tense up in here. Isn't it interesting how we often readily submit to our carnal authorities? But when it comes to our spiritual authority, we readily stiffen our necks and bow up. We harden our hearts. If you don't believe me, see also the Bible. There's plenty of examples. I can't make you do anything. But you have to willingly submit yourself to your pastor's leading. And listen, I'm very careful never to stick my nose where it doesn't belong. When I'm not in this pulpit, I rarely say much unless somebody brings up a conversation. And then, of course, I'm very opinionated. In a bad way. I can get very opinionated real quick. But I try not to do that. And I'm just saying, if your pastor... Whose authority you have placed yourself under spiritually schedules a five day meeting and ask you to attend them. Biblically, you should make the effort to attend. Well, I feel really bad saying this, but nobody else is preaching tonight. And, and listen, I, I want you to understand my heart. I know life happens. I was a shift worker in the military for many, many years. And there, look, I get it. Life happens but you ought to make the effort. I know things are going to come up. I know there's a family moving for crying out. I get it. Life happens and we have to take care of things. So I'm talking to those of us who are able, we should make the effort. And I think we should adjust our work schedules as necessary. And listen, if you can't afford to get off an hour or two early or go in an hour or two late, it may be time to rethink your financial situation. So I just can't afford to take the time off. Then what's going on in your finances? See, in the pulpit, I'll get nosy all day long. But I understand, look, some people just don't have the leave. I understand all that. But back to this idea that I can't make you do anything. It's interesting because as a pastor, you hear how everything rises and falls on leadership. But I think that's way too emphasized when it comes to the church. That statement may be true in the business world. Okay, the business world. (laughs) My wife looked at me with that get your act together look. That statement may be true in the business world. And I know it's true in the military world. But I have yet to see how that statement is true in the church. I understand that there's a structure among civilians and the military which allows for an environment where you will do what your boss says, or else you'll be replaced or fired. But the church doesn't work that way. I marvel how in the military there's a regulation, there's a manual, a TO, whatever you want to call it, there's some sort of a tech order, and there's a chain of command in place that you are to follow, and that's the basis for why your leadership can say, this is what you are going to do and why, and here's my justification in black and white on why you're going to do it we would use the phrase shut up in color. And yet, when it comes to church corporately, we have the highest manual that's ever been written in the Bible. And you would think the pastor could go to this regulation and say, this is why you need to be here. But it's like the pastor is somehow out of line if he asks for anything outside of, quote, unquote, normal business hours. Now, don't misunderstand me. A pastor needs to lead. And I believe his leadership can make a difference, but I can't force that upon you. And a pastor's leadership is only as good as it's received. You could have the best pastor in the world, giving the best messages in the world, but it may not impact you one bit because you could care less. Just think about this year. I want to be careful because in 2021, I may be saying, remember how good it was in 2020? I mean, this is the perfect year for the election to be all messed up. And so here we are. Just think about this year. We're still going through the effects of the coronavirus. Man, I have done absolutely everything I know to do to get our church to trust God's watch care. But we're still 24% behind our average going into it. And if everything rises and falls on leadership, then why hasn't my leadership of encouraging people to be faithful. And my example of staying faithful caused those who have still yet to return to come back. Hebrews thirteen seven says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Now, listen, I'm very humbled by that. But I took that to heart when we went through the coronavirus. But I can't make others have faith. I can't make you believe that God's ordering your steps, that He knows the day of your death. He knows if you're going to be infected. He knows all that. I can't make you believe that. I can't make any follow my faith. And it can be very disheartening when you pour your heart out and you try to rally the troops but to no avail. It makes you wonder sometimes if it's even worth it to do sermons like these. And deep down, you know you, can't, you cannot affect people. It has to be the Holy Ghost. And I, I've said this many times, but the one thing I learned when I became pastor very quick was people are going to do what people want to do. Now, I always knew that. But I never saw it manifested the way I have in the ministry. It goes back to authority. If, you're pay, if your parents say you are going, then you're going. At least I hope you're that kind of parent. If you're not coming see me. If your boss says you're working, then you're working. If the military says you're going downrange, then you're leaving. But when a spiritual authority says you need to do this, people blow up and say things like, Who do you think you are trying to tell me how I ought to live my life? It's just remarkable. We would never disrespect our bosses to their face. I know. Been there, sister. Wait a minute—you are the boss. <laughs> so you're disrespecting somebody down in Sioux Falls. I don't know where your higher up is. I'm just threw that out there for. Um, we would never disrespect our military leaders to their face. I could not imagine standing inside of the command post briefing the base commander and then. Giving him what for? In most homes, children are not going to disrespect their father to their face. But man, when it comes to the church, people have no problem giving the pastor what for. And listen, as the pastor, I would not set up these meetings if I did not believe it would be beneficial for us. And I'll remind you, you'll get out of assembling together what you put into it. Are you praying for the meeting? Are you making the effort to be there? Then you'll you'll be blessed. And as I said before, I'm a realist. I know there's times you don't feel like going to church. I think God made me a pastor as a joke to keep me accountable. Good one. There's times I don't want to go to church. I mean, that's just life. My wife, who always wants to go to church, tells me to get up and get going. <laughs> Have you heard that joke about the guy who's asking his wife? He's saying, I don't want to go to church. Nobody cares if I'm there. Nobody's going to know, notice if I don't show up. And, and, you know, he basically tells his wife, give me one good reason why I should be there. And she says, because you're the pastor. <laughs> I know you get tired. And this is why I love our Wednesday night crowd. I love all of our people. There's something special about those that make time on Sunday night and Wednesday night. I know you're tired. But I'm asking you to press through all of that and attend. And I don't know about you, but usually you come out of a service that you really didn't want to go to. You come out of that thing better. And if you show up and you really get into the service and you sing the songs, it begins to change your heart. And you end up having a very good church experience and you end up being very blessed in the process even if you didn't want to attend beforehand. And I want to give you one last thing. Would you please consider how much Pastor Perkins has studied for us? This isn't his church's theme. This isn't his church's anniversary days. He's leaving His flock to come and minister to us. It would not only be encouraging to me to see God's house full, but it would be an encouragement for Pastor Perkins to drive all the way up from the Gulf Coast to preach to a people who are excited to be in church and hear what God's man has for God's people in this hour. I don't think I could adequately explain how much more work this meeting would have added to Pastor Perkins's plate. There's a reason why when missionary Raymond Jones is here I, I brother I'm going to ask you to preach at some point because I'll eventually break down, but I try not to do that because I know he needs a break. When you have to prepare six more sermons for a congregation you've never met, it's difficult enough. And to do so while pastoring your own church and being the principal at your own school and teaching three classes in that school. And all that comes with pastoring. And then to leave your flock in another person's watch care. That's a lot. And I want you to be here to show your appreciation for Him being with us. Some of you may feel this is a guilt trip tonight. That's fine. I guilt trip my wife all the time. You know, while you're trying to scare me into heaven, I sure would if I could. While you're trying to guilt trip me to come to church, I sure would if I could. But listen, it's not meant to be a guilt trip. I would prefer to—I would prefer you to think of it as your pastor showing you why all of this is important. So that's my shameless plug. Be here if you can be here. and I'll mention this in closing. I don't know how many how many pastors did we end up reserving a hotel for just just two, and then we might have a couple more come over. Um, so we may have a few pastors here with us in the local area. Let's be an encouragement to them. if um, I know for sure that a couple are showing up. I want you to seek them out and shake their hand and you let them know that you're thrilled to death that they're ministering where God has planted them. and let's be an encouragement to those. As uh, we see some other folks come in. All right, let's pray tonight.